Welcome, the Lord be with you. Thank you. Uh, it's uh, good to have you here. We're being honest, okay? That's what we're doing. Why? Uh, why should I believe all this stuff? And, and I, I want to welcome you. I, I want to let you know right up front that whether you believe in this stuff or not, you're welcome here. Whether you believe what I'm going to say today or you agree with me, you're welcome here. We're glad that you're here. We love you. That's what, wants, that's what we want to happen. But we also want to let you know that, I, that as human beings, whether you believe in God or not, as human beings, we're supposed to take care of each other. You agree with that, right? It doesn't matter one way or another. So next weekend, we're doing Pack the Pantry. Next weekend is Lee Strobel coming in. You don't want to miss that anyway. So when you come, bring a bag of groceries, set it on the hood of your car, and everything will go to a food pantry. And we will help take care of people because that's one of the things that we can do as a church. We, we want to be able to help people. That, that's something that's really important. So why? Why? People have been sending me more questions along the way. Um, for those of you who are, are football fans... My sound guy, Barry, gave me this one just this morning. Why do the Redskins still have Washington in their name? <laughs> Only you, you have to understand what's going on. The Redskins are trying to figure out if they're supposed to be Redskins, right? Uh, how about this one? Why can you tell a guy that there are 400 billion stars in the universe and he'll believe you, but if you tell him the bench has wet paint, he has to touch it? <laughs> Whose cruel idea was it to put an S in the word lisp? Is it a little unnerving to you that what doctors say they do is called a practice? Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> Emily t- tweeted me this one. Why didn't Noah swat those two mosquitoes in the first place, right? <laughs> that would have solved so many problems. Nathan, love you, Nathan. Why can't the network bring back Jack Bauer to save the world from terrorists with no sleep? Amen? 24 fans. Joyce Rodriguez said, how, how, how is it that we, why do we drive our children nuts in the same way we drove our parents nuts? Why do our children drive us nuts in the same way we drive our parents nuts? It's payback, right? I get that now. Jason said, why can't I find this in the grocery store? Chocolate, bacon, crunch, ladies and gentlemen. Why not? It's on the internet. Why can't it be a Dominix? Or how about this? Even better, baby formula that's bacon flavored. Get those kids trained young. That's what I'm talking about. Why should, I, uh, why should I believe in God? Why should I believe in Jesus? Why should I believe in the Bible? Next week, why should I believe in science? The week after that, why should I get baptized? We're going to have a baptism service. I was just telling your story and what we believe. That's the dude that jumped in in his hiking boots and grabbed me. I thought I was going to die. He just jumped right in and got baptized. Uh, we're going to do that in two weeks, okay? Uh, and the What We Believe class, I was just teaching about that. I, I want you to be thinking about that too. And then the next week, I got him out of order last week. The next week is why suffering. We're talking about the... So, so I'm kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of behind the times because I don't pay attention to news enough. And I had a friend recently say, you know what, Tim, you know, ought to pay, you're a preacher. You ought to pay more attention to the news. And I said, well, okay, so how should I do that? I mean, you know, is that online or, you know, what, magazines? What's the best way? He said, well, I'm still old school. I think it ought to be a newspaper. So I thought, well, you know, you're probably right. So I stopped by Dominic's in the grocery store the other day, and I picked up some you know, some newspapers, and he was right, because I found all kinds of stuff that I didn't know. Like, did you know that Bigfoot kept a lumberjack as a love slave? (laughs) She said, he's not the man I married anymore. I can't imagine. Did you know that vampires attacked U.S. troops in the mountains of Afghanistan? I, I had no idea. Did you know they found an alien Bible and figured out that aliens worship Oprah? This is all in the newspaper. It's got to be true, right? Did you know that Satan, this is the best news of all, Satan has been captured by GIs in Iraq. There he is. 
We don't have to worry anymore. Woohoo! This is good, isn't it? Now, this one's a little hard for me to believe. I've I got to be honest with you. Titanic survivors found on board. <laughs> After all this time, I don't know what they were eating down there, but, and just one for you ladies. This one this will make you laugh. Hubby's bad breath kills his wife. You're like, okay, well, that one I can believe, right? I get it. Here's the problem. When you see stuff like that, here's, what's my, here's what I'm thinking. Why is it that people buy that? So that they keep making that. I don't understand. I mean, how do they... They have to make money off of those stupid things or, or, or they wouldn't keep printing them, but they're there. And the problem is we see so much stuff in print. We see so much stuff on the Internet, on the TV, and we never know if anything is true or not. And honestly, remember we're being honest here. Honestly, if you look at the Bible and you're, you're like, okay, guy gets swallowed by a whale, spends three days and survives? Really? Guy parts the Red Sea by holding his staff up. A talking donkey? You may not know that story. It's in there. One of my favorites. How do we know what's true and what's not? I mean, the Bible is the number one best-selling book in all of the world. It sells over a billion copies every year. The New York Times took it off its bestseller list because it's always the bestseller. So they finally just decided, well, these are the rest of the bestsellers other than the Bible because it's always the number one. Americans alone spend $200 million a year on Bibles. So your question should be why. I mean, it's popular, sure, but why should I trust it? Why do I know that it's valid? And I'm going to give you five reasons today why I think the Bible is valid. And let's talk about that today and help you to understand why. When critics talk about the Bible, they probably aren't really digging into it like they ought to. For example, Larry King interviewed Bill Maher. You know who Bill Maher is, a you know, religiosity guy, the guy that doesn't like religion. He's, got a, he's a comedian, a talk show guy. He interviewed Larry King, and, and somebody called in, a Christian person called in, and said, hey, why is it that you're making fun of religious people all the time? And here is Bill's, Bill Maher's, here's his answer. He said, no, I don't respect religion. I don't respect superstitious thinking, which is what religion is. I don't respect childish thinking, which is what religion is. We talked about this before, he said. Today's most controversial moral issue wouldn't even be an issue except for what it says in the Bible. The Bible, he goes on. That book that has people who live to be 900 years old and says the world is 6,000 years old and that there are people who lived in a whale that infallible work of genius that says that slavery is okay and that you should stone a guy to death if he works on Sunday. So I'm sorry, I don't respect people who believe in religion. And you hear that and, and you think, well, what if he's right? I mean, you know, that is some crazy stuff. Well, guess what? It just so happens that Bill picked a whole lot of stuff that he didn't really research very much. And I wish he would have. I wish the people that, that want to get on and, and gripe about the Bible would actually go back and see if the Bible is really saying what they think the Bible is really saying and really examine it. Because stuff like this gets thrown around on TV and in colleges and newspapers all the time, and nobody ever bothers to go back and ask if this is really true or not. For example, the Bible never claims that the world is 6,000 years old. The Bible never dates itself. It never, never does. There are some Christians who believe that, and there are some Christians who don't believe that, and you can make a case for it both ways, and it doesn't matter. But the Bible does not say that. The Bible never said that slavery was okay. Some Christians misinterpreted the Bible to make it sound like slavery was okay. And the Bible says if you're in that situation, you should respect your master. Yeah, it says some things for people in that situation, but it never said that. 
Yeah, Hitler misread the Bible and used it to coerce people to do bad things, okay? It's a big book. I could make the Bible say just about anything I wanted to. I could give you a biblical prediction for the bears over the redskins if I wanted to, but it would just be me making the Bible say something that it doesn't really say. One of my favorite verses is from Acts chapter 10. When, when, when Peter is finally given a vision by God and, and God says, hey, I want you to start eating all animals, not just the clean animals. You know, in the Old Testament, they had some animals that were clean and some were unclean. And so up until Acts chapter 10, you couldn't eat pork, for example. And in Acts chapter 10, God comes down and he says, everything is clean. The Gentiles are in, everything is clean. And, and, and he literally says, God says to Peter, listen to this verse, this is one of my favorite verses, Acts 10, 15. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Meaning, eat bacon. That's the bacon verse right there. It's now okay to eat pork. That's the bacon verse. You might think I'm taking that a little out of context, but that's actually what it says right there. We can eat anything now so we can eat bacon. Listen, the Bible does not say, Bill, 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 the Bible does not say you could stone a person for working on Sunday. It's Saturday. Just get your facts right, okay? That's important to me. The Bible does not say that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. There are no whales in the Mediterranean. It was a big fish. Is that different? Probably not, okay? But it's helpful if you get your facts right. And the Bible says that God created a big fish so that it would swallow Jonah and he would be there for three days. And you're like, I don't, that doesn't, that's like a tabloid. That's like aliens worshiping Oprah, okay? You know what? I, don't, I, I can't disagree with you. But that's why we call it supernatural when God does stuff. It's outside of nature, right? I mean, we know that there have been cases of people being swallowed by a whale and surviving, but that doesn't really matter. I mean, what if Jonah didn't survive? Think of, you ever think of this? What if Jonah didn't survive and he died when he got swallowed by the fish, like you would think he would, and then God raised him back to life again three days later? You may have heard similar stories to that elsewhere in the Bible. That's why we call it supernatural. That's why we call it a miracle. And yes, I know the Bible has been used by bad people to coerce people to doing bad things. I get where he's coming from. But that's not God's fault. God gave us this book to be a love letter from him to us to tell us how much he cared about us. That's what it's for. The Apostle John, when he wrote his gospel, said it this way. He said, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's still going to be about believing one way or the other, people. It's never going to be proven for you. But, but John wrote his gospel, and the Bible is there so that we could have, know that Jesus is the Messiah, we could know that God loves us, and that in believing we would have life in his name. Now, I know some of the parts of the Bible are a little bit boring. I know some of you grew up memorizing the Bible. You might not have understood it really well. And sometimes the Bible is not like the, it's not the first thing on your mind that you want to do. Okay, it's the same thing for this little kid. He's in preschool. I'm going to show you this video. He's in preschool and he's memorized the books of the Bible in a song. But then when he gets done with that, he breaks into what he really wants to sing about. Luke and John, Acts 2, lesson to the Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 
first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus and Philemon, Hebrews, James, first and second Peter, first and second and third John, Jude and Revelation. I mean, I love the Bible, but I really love George Strait. You know what I'm saying? And I feel you, kid. I got some exes in Texas, but listen, here's the deal. The Bible is supposed to be something that it gets involved in our life and it changes our life, and it should be more meaningful to us than George Strait. So let me give you some evidence, five pieces of evidence for why I believe the Bible is valid. First one is the documentation evidence. Um, there, there are a lot of books in the Bible, let's just be honest, but, but you've got you to figure out how to go back and decide if the books in the Bible are supposed to be there and if they are significant historically from documented fact. Okay, that's what we want to know. Let's just say that everybody in this room has a letter that was handed down to them by their ancestors that was supposedly a letter, a copy of a letter that George Washington wrote the night before his inauguration as president. And, and one day you're in small group and you're like, hey, you know, George Washington, yeah, I got a letter, you know, my family letter, let me show you this old letter. And you pull it out and everybody else in your small group goes, you know what, I got that letter too. My family passed it down to me. And it's this really, really old letter, not original, but an old, old copy. And you pull it out and you pull them, put them together and you go, well, let me see what yours said. And they say completely different things. All you could assume is that nobody probably has the right letter here because, you know, maybe one of them's right, but if they don't go together, if every, everybody in here had a different letter, you know, that didn't say the same thing, that's not very good proof. But what if you were sitting around and you got your letters out and they were really old letters and you got them together and they were almost exactly the same? And you started asking around and we filled up this whole room full of people and we all had letters that were exactly the same, that said exactly the same thing. Do you know that we have 24,000 pieces of the New Testament alone that are almost verbatim of each other? They're almost exact copies of each other? No, we don't have the actual originals of any of the books of the Bible, but we have uh, book copies of the books of the Bible that go back to within decades of when they were written, and, and thousands upon thousands of them. If we got those letters together and we realized that they were all congruent, that would make us to think that this must be pretty close to what the original intent was supposed to be. 24,000 just of the New Testament, and some of them within decades of when they were written. And people say, well, that could have just been made up. You know what the next closest of ancient language, ancient writings is? It would be Plato. Okay. Anybody ever read Plato somewhere along the line? You know, somewhere you had to study Plato, right? Well, when you read Plato, you were told, and if you went to the library, you looked up on the internet, let me see Plato's writings. Let me see what those are. They would say, here's what Plato wrote. And he would give you Plato's writings. And the earliest copy, the closest copy we have of Plato is a thousand years later. And we only have a few copies. The New Testament, we have 24,000 copies, and the closest copy we have is two decades to the New Testament. 
Josh McDowell says the evidence for that is overwhelming. He says the evidence for the Bible is, is more documented. It is better than the next 10 best supported documents put together. 185,000 words in the New Testament, and there are only 400 that scholars think might be you know, messed up one way or the other, and none of those have any effect on doctrine. None of them say, oh, and by the way, Satan was captured in Iraq by the GIs. Okay? So the documentation proof is unbelievable. Second one, I, 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 every time I get to one of them, I think it's my favorite. Archaeological evidence is really one of my favorites. I love it when science proves something to me that I wanted to believe all along. Okay, that's just my thing. You may have seen that I tweeted this recently, uh, some new findings in Zurich, Switzerland. They did, some, they did some testing and some work, and they found out that B, vitamin B3, which is also known as niacin, can make you live longer, makes you live longer. Okay? They, they tested it on roundworms, and they found that the roundworms that were fed niacin lived 10% longer than roundworms that weren't fed niacin. You get me? That should be, you'd be like, okay, well, niacin's good, right? But this is surprising because this is contrary to pre- previous findings that showed that niacin promoted free radicals in your system, which caused faster aging. This test was completely the opposite. It shows the complete opposite that niacin, and listen to this, this guy's findings say that niacin tricks the body into believing it's exercising. (laughs) Can I get a hallelujah from you? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Do you know where we find high amounts of niacin, ladies and gentlemen? Bacon! I love it when science proves something that I wanted to know dear in my heart from the very beginning. Not turkey bacon, bacon bacon, okay? I love it when science comes along and shows that what the Bible says is true as well. I mean, for example, I mean, this is, the Bible's not a history book. It was never designed to be that. But listen to this one verse in Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year... The reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Governor Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, Brother Philip, Tetrarch of Veturia, Trachonitis, Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene. You're like, boring, let me get on to something better, right? But archaeology has found proof, and history has showed us proof of all of those things being accurate. Every historical detail, just in that one verse, there's 15 of them. And when you put history and archaeology against the Bible, the Bible is proven valid over and over and over again. I'll give you a few of my favorite examples. I could do three messages on this. The Hittites. Back in the day, the Hittites are talked about in the Old Testament a lot. You know, they, they were one of the you know, tribes that they were one of the people that they would war against a lot, and the Hittites would help them, or the Hittites would hurt them, and they would hurt them. And you talk about the Hittites. And, and up until recently, up until you know, a little over 100 years ago, people would say, well, there's, there's no evidence of a Hittite civilization. So the Bible can't be true, because if there was a whole civilization of people, surely we'd have evidence of it. And surely there is. They just hadn't found it yet. In 1906, they dug up this entire Hittite civilization, this entire Hittite city, and proof of it all over the place. So up until then, you could say that, but now you can't say that anymore. There's a whole archaeological site. And you need to understand that the Bible is unique in this. Other religious documents are not like this. The Quran is not like this. The Book of Mormon is not like this. Other religious documents are not proven by archaeology. And every time they say something is wrong in the Bible, it seems like somebody digs something up and says, oh, no, I guess that was right after all. 
For example, number two, King David. You know, King David, he's a big king in, in, in Judaism. That's a big deal, right? And he was talked about in history, but there was never any archaeological proof until they dug this up in 1993 in the Golan Heights region, the David Stone. And that inscription on there says, King of Israel, House of David. And the skeptics were like, well, that's just one thing. Maybe we're misinterpreting it. Maybe it was a different David. And then all of a sudden they started finding a whole bunch of more David things. And now <clears throat> if you go to a history book or a science book, they will say, yeah, it's verified that David was the king of Israel when he said he was. Because we dug up proof. Okay? There's consensus. I love this. I love the archaeology thing. And, and by the way, single ladies, this is from me to you. Archaeologists make great husbands. Because the older you get, the more interested they are in you. <clears throat> it's, just, it's just from me to you, okay? See what I'm saying? All right. Now, now here's the problem, okay? Here's the problem. Uh, as I said, other, other documents, I, I don't, I don't want to pick on the Mormons, okay? Maybe you come from that background. That's great. I love you. But here's the deal. Joseph Smith claims that an angel Moroni came to him in, in 1823 and told him about how Jesus had visited the North American continent back many years before that. He had, Jesus had come over here and visited. That's what Mormonism is based in. And he told stories in these golden tablets that supposedly God had given him about how in those civilizations they used silk, they, used, they had horses, they had cattle, they had donkeys, they had coins, they had steel, they had iron, they had grain, they had wheat. The Indians. Smithsonian Institute, Washington, D.C. says there is absolutely no evidence for any of those things being in existence during those days on the North American continent. Because you would find examples of them being used. And the very site, again, I'm not trying to pick on this, I, just, I need you to understand the difference. The very site in New York that the Mormons say is the holy site where the angel came to Joseph Smith, it's all fenced up, and they won't allow anybody to dig there. I mean, you go to Israel, and you go, we could have literally gotten out at any point in Israel and started digging and found stuff. As a matter of fact, I mentioned this ring before, uh, in case you weren't there this week. This is a widow's mite. This is a 2,000-year-old coin paid 50 bucks for in Israel because there's so much antiquity stuff. There's so many antiquities in Israel. It's the only country in the world that will allow you to buy old things because there's so much of it laying around. This is, this, this is the widow's might like what Jesus said the woman put, the widow put in and she gave everything that she had. So I, I, got a, I got a ring made out of it and it's what I keep on my hand because there's so much of it there and we want you to go over there and dig because every time you dig, you find something that proves the Bible is true. Over and over and over again. I'll give you a couple more. Uh, John, the book of John was written after the other Gospels. And people were saying, well, he must, have, you know, he must have been a little messed up because he mentions things like the pool of Bethesda. And there's no pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. You've got to understand. You should do this because it's awesome. When you go to Jerusalem, there's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of civilization. So you don't know how far you're going to have to dig, and of course you don't want to dig up somebody's you know, historical thing here because there's a historical thing down here. Finally, they were digging one day, and guess what they found? Bada-boom, bada-bing. There's the Pool of Bethesda, just like John said it was. 
Skeptics used to say the idea of crucifixion was not historically proven. It was talked about in history, but Jesus being crucified or people being crucified, there was no proof of it until, I hope you're not going to lunch right after this, until they found this foot with a spike through it that had obviously fastened it to something. We don't know that it was from crucifixion, but obviously the wood rotted away and the foot bone and the spike are still there. And it got curled up on the end so that it would stay fastened to whatever it was. Proof of crucifixion, possibly. Again, it just keeps happening. You may remember in recent, in recent history, this is in the last 10 years, I think, they found James, the brother of Jesus' burial box. That was a big deal. Why was that a big deal? Because it says James, the brother of Jesus, on it. Okay? Why would you put the brother of Jesus on your burial box unless your brother was pretty stinking famous? Am I right? I mean, you know, my sister, it makes sense. Dana, the brother of Tim, you know, that should be on, on hers. That part I get. But unless your brother's really famous, you're not putting his name on there, right? And more importantly, if your brother is just a criminal that got crucified, you know, on a cross because he was a lousy guy, nobody puts Joe, the brother of Charlie Manson, on their burial box either. Am I right? So this was pretty significant. James, the brother of Jesus. Pretty, pretty fun story when that one came out. There was a pilot. Um, this is the picture that I took. Go ahead and throw that up there because this is at Caesarea Philippi. This is so fun. This is a step. They didn't believe that there was actually a Pontius Pilate, the guy who, you know, washed his hands of Jesus and had him crucified. Until one day at Caesarea Philippi, somebody decided to turn over this stone that they'd been using as a step. Somebody turned it over, and there, lo and behold, an inscription that talked about Pontius Pilate dating back 2,000 years. It was right there all along. And we have this happen over and over and over. There are 25 thousand archaeological discoveries that have validated scripture more they dig the more they find nelson block a jewish archaeology expert said it may be categorically stated that no archaeological discovery has ever contradicted a biblical reference that's fascinating isn't it i mean that's proof to me that the the document is valid And it's also interesting because remember when Jesus came down the triumphal entry and he rode down and people were waving palm branches saying, Hosanna, you're the Messiah, you're coming to save us. And the the religious leaders were like, you've got to tell those people to shut up. Here's what Jesus said, I love this. He said, I tell you the truth, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The stones literally are crying out that this thing is true. Number three is prophetic, prophetic. The prophecies coming true over and over again. Weatherman cannot tell you what the weather is going to do tomorrow. Andy, I'm sorry if you're in here, okay? They can't. They got all this technology and they can't figure out how what's going to happen tomorrow. And yet the Bible predicts crazy things that are going to happen and then they happen over and over and over again. I'll be brief on it and just tell you that there are 60 prophecies about Jesus that came true in Jesus alone. Just one thing. And they're crazy specific things. Not like he's going to be a man. It's like he was going to be born in Bethlehem and he was going to be from Galilee. 
Those two things don't go together. I don't know if you know that. That he would be born of a virgin. That he would be rejected by his own people. That he would be murdered between two thieves. That he would be get, they would gamble for his garments. That 30 pieces of silver would be traded for his life. That he would be buried in another person's tomb. That he would rise from the dead. All of those things were predicted before Jesus came. The, the craziest one is in Psalms 22, it predicts that his hands would be pierced. And they hadn't invented crucifixion yet. So the writer of Psalm 22 has no idea what he's writing down when he talks about his hands being pierced for our sin. A mathematician did a study on this and he said, okay, if it's just chance, let's just say it's just coincidence. And let's just take eight of these prophecies coming true in one man in coincidence. What are the odds? This mathematician said it would be 1 in 10 to the 57th power. And I know 10 to the 57th power doesn't mean anything to you, so let me explain it the way he finished it up. 10 to the 57th power. If I took silver dollars and I took the amount of 10 to the 57th power of silver dollars and I dumped them on the state where that boy's exes are in Texas, it's a big state if you haven't ever been there, it would cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. That's how many silver dollars 10 to the 57th is. What he was saying was the odds of eight of these prophecies coming true in Jesus, just eight, there were 60, but just eight of them accidentally coming true in one man are like me taking a silver dollar, marking it, tossing it into the state of Texas, stirring up the state of Texas with two feet of silver dollars on it and giving you one chance to find it. Those are the odds, okay? Now, some, some critics are going to say, well, maybe, and this was, this was an easy one until recently, maybe they inserted the prophecies in the Old Testament after Jesus came. That was a good argument until 1948 when a little boy, a little shepherd boy, took a rock and threw it up into a cave that was way up high. We, we were there this summer, way up high in this cave where you could only rappel down to or, or really couldn't climb up to it at all because it was in the side of a hill because of erosion. And he heard a clink. He heard a jar break. And they realized there was probably something in there that was important. And it was probably the most important archaeological discovery of all time. It was the Dead Sea Scrolls. You may have seen them. There have been a, an exhibit down in the University of Chicago. They've been at the Science and Industry Museum down there and, and, and different places. We've seen pieces of them in Israel. And you know what they found? Carbon dated, proof, older Old Testament copies of Scripture before Jesus, almost identically, almost exactly the same as the Old Testament we have. The same prophecies about Jesus, the same things that were obviously true. That's the prophetic evidence. That's pretty strong, too. There's also, fourth, the scientific evidence. Right? Again, Lee Strobel next weekend, investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, wanted to study to show his wife that she was crazy for believing in Jesus and found Jesus in the meantime. Engaging speaker, he's going to come and talk about science next week and science and, and creation and how you know, the Bible could be true and science and the Bible don't have to go against each other. You are not going to want to miss this. He will be here next weekend. Invite your friends to come to this, okay? But the Bible is full of scientific principles. Let me just give you a few, all right? For one thing, um, circumcision. Let me just, let's just go ahead and do the whole lunch thing, okay? Uh, circumcision. 
Here we go. You were supposed to circumcise your babies. And I, you know, I can't tell you why God wanted it done the way he did, but he told people to circumcise their babies on the eighth day. Now, was that just some random idea? No. You know what we found later, now that we understand medical things? What we now know, you can go look this up yourself, is that blood clotting is the, at its highest peak eight days after you're born. In other words, the time in your life when you are going to bleed out the least in your life is at eight days old. Some of you are on Coumadin. You're on, you, know, you, some of you, you, you know you cut yourself, you're going to bleed. It's going to be bad, right? A baby that's eight days old, that's the least amount of time you're going to, you're going to bleed. It's like God knew something, right? Or how about, speaking, let's just stay on the blood thing. Remember when they used to do bloodletting to heal people? You remember studying that? I mean, not not that you were there, but you know, you remember studying that, right? And they were like, oh, you don't feel good? Here, let me slit your wrist. You feel better now? Well, I'm feeling kind of faint. Maybe I feel better. Why did they do that? That was so stupid. I mean, who came up with this idea? Guess what? All they had to do was read the Bible because the Bible says in Leviticus, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And it's right there. Bloodletting was a dumb idea. I mean, there's so many. Isaiah, listen to this Isaiah scripture. Okay, Imagine you're back in the day and you think the world is flat. Isaiah says, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Circle, a sphere it could be interpreted, depending on how you do the language. Uh, it's not a circle. I can see way over there, and it's still flat, right? That's what they thought. But the Bible said it was a circle way back in the day. Psalm 8.8, the birds of the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. Wow. Did, did they understand ocean currents back in that day? No. They had no idea. How about... Um, all the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. And to the place the streams come from, there they return again. What is that? The hydrological cycle. Right there in the Bible. You see, I mean, over and over and over again. And whenever you find something that seems like it contradicts, like sometimes God talks about the four corners of the earth, we, we know he was being figurative. I mean, we talk about the four corners of the earth now coming from the east and the west. We understand that. So sometimes you've got to understand the Bible is not a historical document. It's not a science document. But, but there's so many proofs from science that show us that the Bible is true. And usually we don't figure it out until later. One of my favorites is Abraham. When Abraham was told that he would have kids, God said, you will have descendants that will number as many as the sand of the sea and as the stars of the sky. And, and you're like, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. It wouldn't have made sense back in that day. Because the sand of the sea is innumerable. We know that. But back in the day, before they had the ability to see past the naked eye, even if you were away from the mall and you were away from streetlights and you're in the middle of Wisconsin and you can see a bunch of stars, you could still only to the naked eye see about 10,000 stars. Think about it. You know, they used to make all the you know, constellations and try to figure it out because those stars were there. So people would be like, I don't understand that scripture because the sand of the sea, there's so much of it, but I can look up and I can see the stars and there's not nearly as many stars as there is sand. Until 1608, when a spectacle maker named Hans Lippershe took two of his spectacle lenses, put one in front of the other, put a tube around it, and made a telescope. And then all of a sudden we realized there's a whole lot more out there that we didn't understand. God did, as he put them there. 
an astronomy magazine writer, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, said, and I quote, there may just be as many stars in the sky as there is sand, grains of sand in the ocean. I think the Bible is valid because of science, because of prophecy, because of archaeology, because of the document evidence. But at some point, you're going to have to read it for yourself. You have to decide if what this says it is, is really what it is. And I wanted you to hear from a younger person, because we've got this teen service going today. So listen to Matthew tell you his story. I always dreaded the question when I knew that would inevitably happen is someone asked me, why do you believe what you believe? I had no idea. I believed what my parents told me, my, you know, my old pastors told me, and I wanted to learn for myself what everything in the Bible meant. Reading the Bible and you know, really getting a feel for it was important to me. I think everyone should read the Bible to know where Christianity is coming from. You got to know the origins of Christianity to want to believe in it. You can't just say, oh yeah, I want to be a marine biologist. You have to read the textbooks, learn about it, and then you've got to decide. I think the way the Bible has helped me shape my life is, it's first off given me a hope that I you know, had never had before. It's given me a good hope for the future. But if you have the hope you know, for later and the eternal, it's a lot less scary. There are just a lot of good verses. Like um, a good verse for me is I worry a lot. So I think the verse where I don't know what book of the Bible but it says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour onto your life, kind of gets me back onto, oh, well, you know, I shouldn't worry. Cool stuff in there. And it's uh, just inspirational and influential. After reading the Bible, I've tried to be more patient and loving and compassionate to people. And I've also tried to go out of my way to meet new people. Um, because you know the Bible says, love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's hard. I'm just going to say that's very hard. But I've tried to be better at being patient and uh, loving with people, no matter how much they tick me off. I try. Reading the Bible and hearing Jesus talk about helping the least of these the Great Commission going out and making disciples. Before reading the Bible, I really had no desire to leave the country ever, except maybe for Italy, because I, you know, Italy is a pretty place, but now I, I want to go out and help. Before I really started reading, and I always thought God was a lot rougher and, you know, more, if you step out of line, I'm going to strike you down, smite you. And then the New Testament always seemed more loving, but honestly, through the entire thing, God is a very loving God. It's helped me to grow more compassionate, just try to love other cultures more. As someone who didn't really want to read it in the first place, most of the Old Testament is tough. Numbers, you know, numbers goes over my head, just makes me so sleepy. Pretty much the entire Old Testament makes me super sleepy. So if I'm struggling to fall asleep, I'll probably read the Old Testament, kind of like math homework. <laughs> I think the funniest book in the Bible is Songs of Solomon, for sure. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Not pick up lines that would get girls. That would actually get you sexual harassment, probably. You can take the Bible on a leap of faith and say, hey, I don't know if this is true, but if it is, I live this great life from a book of rules that have helped actually probably improve my life. If it is true, you've lived a great life and you go to heaven. The Bible affects me personally because it's shaped my beliefs and helped me really to get deeper into what I believe. Way to go, Matthew. Proud of you, man.
proud of you, buddy. At some point, you're going to have to read it for yourself and decide if you believe it. Paul said, we will never stop thanking God that when we preach the message to you, you didn't think of the words we spoke as being our own. You accepted that which we said as the very word of God, which, of course, it is. Again, you know, this is a safe environment for you if you don't believe in this. I understand. We're here for you. Ask questions. You know, there's no entrance requirements here. Maybe no shoes, no shirt, no service, but past that, you come in here however you want. We're going to help you. We want to be here for you. That's who Jesus was. That's how this whole thing works. Just come in and listen. At some point, you're just going to have to decide for yourself. Somebody summed it up this way. You've heard the story of the blind men and the elephant, you know, the the story of perspective, right? Three blind guys come to the elephant, and one of them, he can't see, and all he does is he grabs a hold of a tusk, and he says, well, an elephant is like a spear, And another one doesn't see the whole elephant because he's blind, so he grabs a hold of the tail and he says, no, the elephant is like a snake. And another one grabs his leg and says, no, an elephant is like a tree. And they all have different perspectives because they're all grabbing a different part of the elephant. But what if, one of the writers said, what if the elephant turned around to the blind people and said, hey, I'm going to tell you exactly who I am. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to write it down for you so that you can read it over and over again. Wouldn't that be the best way to figure out about the elephant? That's really what the Bible does for us. And at some point, you're going to have to decide if it's going to get inside of you and, and, and change you. We're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, that's a lot of mind stuff. But at some point, you've got to let the mind stuff get through there and get into here and make a difference, which leads me to the last piece of evidence. And that's what happens to the characters of the Bible, the character evidence. People who wrote the Bible were people who had issues. I mean, if you're making up the Bible, if you're making up a religious document, every, every other religious document paints its heroes to be heroes. Well, what does the Bible do? I mean, if you're going to set up King David as the, the guy who is the best king of Israel, do you tell the Bathsheba story? No, you don't. And that's one of the things I love about the Bible is that it's honest over and over again. And yet, over and over again, what happens as we see in the Bible is a transformation of a little shepherd boy who becomes a king, who loses it and has an affair with a woman and kills her husband and comes back at the end and is what God calls a man after his own heart. You see that happen. Oh, the transformation of the characters in the Bible. And you see a bunch of fishermen get transformed by this into leaders of the first church. And you see Peter, who said, you know what? Here's what he said. He said, we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Let me just stop right there for a second, okay? Can you imagine... Can you imagine the disciples sitting around one day, going, you know, like the day after the crucifixion, sitting around in the upper room going, wow, that's a bummer, man. We're done. What are we going to do? I got an idea. I got an idea. I have to be Bill and Ted when I'm stupid. I got an idea, dude. I know what we can do. Let's tell everybody that Jesus rose from the dead. 
This would be awesome. We could start our own little religion here. We just tell everybody, and everybody would be like, no, dude, he's still there. He's in the tomb. No, no, no. We'll get the 120 together, and we'll tell everybody, no, Jesus is alive. And so they get the 120 together, and they're like, hey, guess what? Jesus is alive. And they're like, no, he's not. He's still there. There's the guards are there. He's still there. No, no, no. We're just going to start this thing, okay? This is going to be a bunch of fun. You guys watch what happens. Hey, everybody, Jesus is alive. And they go out, and that story works right up until the time that your neck is spread out on a rock, and there's a big guy with an axe on top of you, right? Right about that moment, you're going to be like, no, dude, I was just kidding, man. I'm seriously, I mean, we just made that up. Every one of the writers of the New Testament died a martyr's death for what they believe. We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, eyewitnesses of his majesty. Otherwise, why would we have, you know, sold out our lives for it? We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well, listen, here's your advice, you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I love that language. If you're skeptical out there, I, I just want to encourage you, just, just hold on, just, just, just pay attention until the light shining and the morning star rises. And above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That, that's what I believe this is, my friends. And at its essence, it's, as I said at the beginning, a love letter to God. From God to you. A graphic illustration of that several years ago. You may remember this story. Robert Rosario was a L.A. firefighter who was one of the first ones on the scene of a metro train accident in L.A. where people had died and people were trapped and gotten derailed and it was, a, it was a horrible scene. And he came upon one guy who had been trapped underneath the wreckage who had left a message. And in all the hubbub, they didn't really know what was going on until afterwards. They didn't know if the guy had made it until afterwards. And all they knew was that they found this. Here's a picture of it. They found... Somebody in their own blood had written, I heart Leslie, I heart my kids. And what he thought was going to be his last moments on earth, he used his own blood to write a love letter to his family. Now, thankfully, he survived. And even more thankfully, he declined all interviews and didn't want to talk to anybody because he said this was a private moment between him and his family. So we don't know who he is. We don't know what it was all about except that in that one final moment, he realized the most important message he could leave to his family. And I believe that what this is, is the most important message that God could give you. I heart Tim. That's what this is. I heart you. I heart Denise. I heart John. I heart Mary. I heart Philip. I heart you, whatever your name is. This is what this message of this Bible is. And Jesus wrote it in his own blood. That's what we do in communion right now. We listen to the word, we let it get into our hearts, and we let it change us. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to communion right now, we thank you that you heart us, that you love us.
that's the message of this the scriptures and I know there's a lot in there <laughs> I know some of it's boring let's just admit it like Matthew did some of it culturally we don't understand I have questions I want to know why I'm not going to understand it all right now but you know what I, I do understand is that you heart me and that's the whole message of this thing and you wrote it in your own blood Jesus because you died on the cross to save me from my sins so thank you. Thank you for the awesome message of the Bible. And Lord, if there are people in here that need to turn back to you right now and realize that you wrote this love letter to them and know that it's true, let them do that during communion. If there are people that have never responded to your invitation, may they respond right now and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I know that you died to save me. I know that your blood covers over my sin. And I accept that sacrifice in my life. For the rest of us that do this on a weekly basis, Lord, help us to feel confident that this is your word that you've given us. But more importantly, help us to let it into our lives as light that, that, that gives us the dawn, that gives us the, the, the light in our life that shines forth, that helps us to know that you're there. Be with us as we commune in Jesus' name. Amen.